Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you, ladies, and uh, very thankful. I know that I speak for many here today who are thankful for their mother, and I too am thankful for a mama like mine. A mama like mine wants to grant your wishes. She thinks it over while she washes your dishes. She's got work in the world and clothes on the line. You would do well to have a mama like mine. A mama like mine hurts when you're sad. She's irked when you're wronged, and she's glad when you're glad. She's gentle when you're down, but not when you whine. Life has a true friend with a mama like mine. A mama like mine finds her worth in the Lord. With salvation, her helmet, and the Bible, her sword, she's content with her station, and she's tied to the vine. The light shines in the world with a mama like mine. Your mama may have blue ribbons galore, accolades, accomplishments, achievement, and more. Regardless her merit, her glimmer, her shine, I know that you don't have a mama like mine. Because a mama like mine gave me my name, stands by me still while knowing my shame. Her love is real close to a love that's divine, and that's what you get with a mama like mine. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for our mothers. Lord, I personally am thankful for my mama. I thank you, Lord, for my grandmothers. I thank you, Lord, for my wife, who is a mother to our children. I thank you, Lord, for my sister. I thank you for the, for the example of the nurturing women in my life that lead this church, that love this church. God, I thank you, Lord, for the people you've placed in our life. And Lord, I also know that this day is difficult for many, for many different reasons. So we pray for your comfort. And we pray, God, that they would be reminded of the promises of eternal life. And God, that you would be very, very present with them. Lord, we thank you once again for your word. And as we explore it now, God, that you would draw us closer to you in a right and real way. And we love you and thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 9. If you're in Mark chapter 9, this is our continued sermon series. Mark chapter 9, ministry from Mark. The first time we went through the book of Mark, we were looking at ministry to the multitudes. Today we look at ministry to the disciples. And last week was about the framework of a follower. Today is about the foundation of a follower. Last week we discussed how Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. He, his coming was not a military takeover. The coming of Jesus was not to free the people from the oppression of a foreign ruler. It was to free them from their greatest enemy, which was the power and penalty of their sin. And so Jesus took the posture of a servant. Jesus gave his life for the will of God, for the glory of the Father. And to be a follower of Christ, we were challenged last week to consider how we should carry out the same task. So I would ask you today on the front, as we will look at a series of questions throughout but what in our life, as we think about self-denial for the sake of following Jesus, what in our life needs to go? What in our life needs to get out? What needs to change? What needs to move? What area of self-denial is the Holy Spirit bringing to heart and mind last week, through the week, and today? What area is the Spirit of God leading us to take on or to put down? Consider that as we look into Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 10, as God has taught us about self-denial last week, he gives us a glimpse of his glory this week. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 10. Verse 2, six days later, 
Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Verse 5, Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it is wonderful for us to be here. Let us make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he said this because he really didn't know what else to say, for they were all terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they only saw Jesus with them. If I may, once again, Lord, we just stop and pray and ask, Spirit of God, that you would guide us into all truth. Lord, whatever is waiting for us after this hour, that we would leave it there that we would not experience worry in this moment, that we, with our head bowed, our eyes closed, we desire, O God, to hear from you. And we ask humbly that you would speak to us in a right, real, and personal way. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter, James, and John, those that were present with Jesus for the Mount of Transfiguration, were kind of his inner circle. This is like a special status that were given to these three and at other times in the scripture, they witnessed events that the other disciples did not. There's really no explanation as to why Jesus had this closer circle than, than a few, or, or why he didn't bring everybody on to the mountain with, with him for this Mount of Transfiguration experience. But I honestly think it's because he's fully man, and being fully man, that's not far from what we all do. We all have bigger circles and inner circles. But as I thought about this group and how they saw the appearance of Jesus transformed supernaturally and they experienced it together, I considered this question that I'd like to pose to you today. Who are you experiencing God together with? In your life, in your family, outside of your family, in your personal life, who are you experiencing God together with? Do you have somebody that you worship beside? Do you have someone that you can learn God with? That you can discuss what the Bible says and you can discuss spiritual growth and freedom? Do you have someone that you can serve with and go on mission with and learn from? When I was in the student ministry, uh, around a teenager, 14, 15, 16 years old, I remember being in a student ministry and our student pastor was challenging us on Wednesday night, challenging us to read the Bible. And then all of a sudden, over a short period of time, I looked around at some of my friends and some of my friends were actually reading the Bible. And their mama wasn't making them. And their daddy wasn't making them. They were reading God's word on their own. And they were discussing what God was showing them in their life. They were talking about what they feel led to do. They were talking about what passages mean. And all of a sudden, people in my student ministry are talking about this very real thing, which is hearing from God Almighty through His Word. And I realized that I was on the outside looking in, but I could be in. And so I would challenge you to answer this question for yourself today. Who are you experiencing God together with? Because there were the multitudes, and then the crowd got a little smaller, and then there was the 12, and then this is the three where they are experiencing God together. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. This was not a closed group as Jesus invited the multitudes to follow him. And the disciples themselves were part of a larger group than just those three. But this was a group that experienced God together. 
It had been six days since Jesus had told his disciples in verse 1, I tell you the truth that some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. And there are different views on what this actually meant, but in context, he was most likely referring to what we just read about, this transfiguration experience. Now, I want you to get the imagery of it that we read. Jesus, in some inexplicable way, based on his divinity and what was going on that God wanted them to see, he manifested his divine glory to the disciples. They were looking on, and they saw these things happen. He was giving them a sample, a wonderful sample of an end result before the work had begun and was finished. It was light in the darkness. Look at what we saw there. Jesus' appearance was transformed at the end of verse 2. His clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any bleach could ever make them. And Elijah and Moses appeared. They began talking with Jesus. This is an eternal life experience that they were getting to sample. It was light with, with the absence of darkness. It was the presence of God. It was the, the old folks that were gathered together, the people that had gone on before. It was fellowship with the saints and the prophets. It was the overwhelming terrifying fear of God experience. This was a realization of the supernatural. You know, one of the reasons we don't think about the supernatural is because we're not supernatural until the Spirit of God comes inside of us. Because we live so much within the natural man that that's all we think of, focus on, and expect there to be. Jesus was giving them an eternal life experience. Check this out. Jesus was giving them a look at the championship trophy ceremony before the hard work of the season had begun. That's what we're looking at here in this passage. Peter wrote of this experience in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw this majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from the Father. Y'all keep in mind... Jesus had just talked about giving up your life. Remember that, what we talked about last week from Mark chapter 8? Jesus had just told the disciples about giving up their life, taking up their cross, laying down their way, taking on his way. He had just discussed the worth of their soul. He invited them to literally die to this life. That's pretty heavy. Can I be honest with you? Last week when we left here, if y'all were here, it was a heavy feeling in this place. The Spirit of God convicting many, starting with me, I know. As we talked about denying ourselves and what that looked like. And so Jesus taught them that. And now what he's doing is he's bringing them up the mountain in an inner circle and say, let me just give you a taste of the glory that you are working through for. It was just a small look, but it was an experience that is part of God's kingdom that is to come. So listen. I want you to hear the comfort part of this today. Anything that you are suffering, anything that you are going through, anything that you have suffered or suffering will suffer will be overtaken and overshadowed by the glory of God in eternity for those who believe and follow Jesus Christ. Anything that you are going through now will be overwhelmed later in eternity, and I know we're all great at waiting, aren't we? We're all great at being patient. And this is before the work that is to be done by the disciples, many of them being martyred. 
Jesus going to suffering, to the cross. And so God gave them, this inner circle, just a little bit of taste of heaven. And so as I mentioned suffering, in other words, suffering for the Lord will lead to glory with the Lord. Suffering for, not just suffering to suffer, but suffering with the Lord. And how the Lord would take you through it will lead you to glory with the Lord. In Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, the Bible says, But if we are to share in His glory, we must also share His suffering. And yet, listen to this, the good news. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He revealed to us later. What? Did y'all hear that? What we suffer now, whatever that is, and suffering in its basic form is loss. What we lose now is nothing compared to what we're going to gain in the presence of God in eternal life. Celebrate and live within that good news today. Moses and Elijah were there. Why were Moses and Elijah there? Why was it just them? Why was there not more folks that were surrounded surrounding Jesus? Why there's not a whole host of folks there in their presence? Scholars believe that they represent two great divisions of what came before Jesus, the law of God and the prophecy of God. The law of God and the prophecy of what is to come. Well, the demands of the law of God are fulfilled in the life and the sacrifice of Jesus. The prophecy of God is fulfilled in the life and the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. And so Moses and Elijah and Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, they spoke of this fulfillment. It's almost like Moses and Elijah were walking up to the Lord God and saying, we know it's time. We know it's time. And so they were discussing how Jesus was fulfilling the good work that they had done. The events to come were culminating. It was crowning as Jesus, the Son of God, would provide an entrance into the kingdom of God for those who believe with his death and promised our eternal life in the kingdom of God with his resurrection was a promise fulfilled. We have preached on heaven recently, and we will see and know and fellowship with our loved ones in heaven. That's a question that we all ask. When we get to heaven, are we going to get to see our loved ones? When we get to heaven, are we going to know our loved ones? What's it going to be like with our loved ones? I'm just going to be honest with you. To be straight up with you, I don't know exactly how that's going to go. You may be disappointed, and I was going to break the news to you. I don't know exactly how that's going to go, but what I do see here is Moses and Elijah that are known represent saints who have died. And the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, those who have died in Christ and those who are alive when Jesus returns will be with the Lord forever. If I may, going back to a sermon series that we've just looked at in heaven, again, the best of the promises of heaven have to do with us being with God. With God. In the presence of God, where there is all light, no darkness, where God is taking care of it all. Now, what happens next in verse 5 is, is just somewhat funny to me. If you look in verse 5, Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let us make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, the Bible goes on to say he didn't know really what else to say because they were all freaked out. They were all terrified. And so you know how some of us, we like to make jokes when we're uncomfortable? 
And some of us like to say something because we're deathly afraid of silence. So this is what Peter's doing. He has just seen the Son of God be transformed. They're all terrified. Hey, Moses and Elijah are standing there in front of us. And he says this statement that is so profound. This is awesome. That's basically what he says. It's wonderful to be here. And then he goes home with a great idea. I'll tell y'all what, let's do. Let's all build a tent for each one of them. Isn't that a good idea? I can just see if, any, if those guys are anything like my buddies. When we left the mount and came on down where there was a quiet time away from Jesus, one of those guys is going to be like, great idea, tent maker. Let's all build a tent. <laughs> and that would be like an inside joke with them for a long time. Because again, the Bible says he, he, he didn't really know what to say. They were all just terrified. Why, when the scripture says, if you look here, let's make three shelters as memorials. Why did he want to build tents for them? Why did he want to build shelters? Maybe it was, it was his desire to stay and not leave. Maybe he did not want to leave what he was experiencing. Students, if you've been to camp before, adults, if you've experienced revival before, if we've had these times together on Easter and prayer services and all these things where the Spirit of God is almost tangible, we don't want to leave that. We want to take it with us because it affects us so greatly. You know, not wanting to leave is what you do when you've been on the best trip ever. You find yourself going, how can we make a way to stay here and not go back, right? But think about the work that had to be done by the disciples for the glory of God until eternal life was realized. Now, church, catch this right here. We can't live life on vacation. Anybody hear me? We can't live life on vacation. That's not what life was meant to be lived for. Now, I hope everybody in here takes a vacation this summer. I hope you all go and get away from it all and relax and retreat because retreat and relaxation is in the scripture as well. But that is not to be the purpose of our life to look at our calendar and our budget and plan how much we can be away from this life. It is to look at the resources we have and balance some for the appropriate time to relax and retreat and get away and be together with family. But God has got us here to be on the grind. Is anybody hearing that this morning? God has us here to make disciples, to be his witnesses, to worship him, to glorify him. And so they come back down the mountain. There will be no setting up of tents or shelters or memorials because we don't have time for that right now. Jesus has talked about denying yourself and taking up your cross. All of that is about to happen. I need y'all now to come on and go with me. We'll talk about resting a little while later. Please, I, I would encourage you, as I know where we live and the kind of culture that we live, please take your times of break and vacation. But that is not what this life is about. Trying to get away from everything. Just as the disciples were returning to service, again, we are called to give our life away. To give our life away. We must do that. The, the kingdom of God is now and not yet. The kingdom of God, where the king is, the, the kingdom is. So as Jesus is king, alive and well, and he has given us the instruction to make disciples and to minister 
and to work for his glory, this has got to be a part of our life if we are a Christian who belongs to the local church. We are subject to the king now and our responsibility to deny ourselves and represent the Lord and to go and fulfill the calling of God. How long y'all going to wait on that? How long are we going to push that off? Because we got all kinds of things going. And then before you know it, we blink our eye, our kids are grown. We're not even sure if we're coming back to church because they are. And so now what we're going to do is by the time we get older and can't move like we used to, let's talk about doing something now. But then we get there and go, I'm too old to do that. Y'all think I'm preaching silly stuff. Read Ecclesiastes. says, you better get after it while you're young. Because there'll be a time when the silver cord of life snaps. Your your bones don't feel like they used to feel. Your bodies don't feel like they used to feel. And so right now is not the time to constantly be seeking out vacation. What's the time is is to be seeking out mission and to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Don't take it personal unless it's personal. Amen? So while the disciples loved the glimpse, they loved what they saw. They wanted to stay. There were needs to be met in the valley below the mountaintop. Listen to this. One pastor said, if we want to share the glory of Christ on the mountaintop, we must be willing to follow him into the sufferings of the valley below. Verse 6 says that once Peter made his great idea, suggestion, (laughs) let's all build a memorial. God in the form of a cloud. Look at verse 6. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. And then verse 7, then a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. God speaks. This is the Father, and the cloud is symbolic in the Bible for the presence of God. The cloud of glory was present in the tabernacle. The cloud of glory was present in the temple in the Old Testament. And from the cloud, a voice, the voice of God. Y'all, with me real quick. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine being on that mountain, seeing Jesus transform supernaturally into something you've never seen before on TV, screens, nothing? Can you imagine the presence of light and the presence of God, and then God speaks? If I can offer one line of a sermon today, it may be this. When God's word is spoken and heard, situations can change. When God's word is spoken and heard in our life, situations can change. Because what happened as they were looking on and bringing up this honor for three of them, God said, no, 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 one of them. And the situation changed. And what God said reveals identity and it gives instruction. Because he said, this is my dearly loved son, listen to him. And verse 8 says, suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone. And the only one they saw was Jesus. The law, gone. Prophecy, gone. The heroes of the Old Testament, gone. Jesus. This is God Almighty giving identity and instruction. Peter was ready to build these memorials. And rightfully so, think about this. This was the titans of their faith. Up until this point, 
they had not seen the full revelation of God in Jesus, so they knew full well who Moses was and knew full well who Elijah was, and they were honored to be among them and to be among Jesus. So Peter, in his mind and knowing his faith, he got ready to honor them all. And then God moved, and he spoke only of one. This, Jesus, is my dearly loved son. Jesus, he, he said this at the baptism of Jesus as well. This is my dearly loved son. He is reaffirming and affirming this direct revelation of God, who Jesus is, the Son of God, co-equal with the Father, but distinct in purpose. Just this one. Last night I was officiating a wedding. Someone that we know and love, a couple that we know and love, and we were officiating this wedding. I arrived and I got out and I looked typically like a preacher, right? With a black suit on and I've got that little black notebook that says this guy's officiating a wedding. So as I get out and I'm walking towards this, an older gentleman got out and he was walking alongside of me and he recognized that I was the officiant. And I honestly think, I think he was trying to honor me and he spoke and said, how are things going? So good to see you and pleasantries and all these kinds of things. We're walking and talking for about five yards. And then he looks up and he sees this young lady walking towards him. And all of a sudden it was like I was never even there. <laughs> because this young lady was his granddaughter. Had to be. Because as soon as he saw her, he was in mid-sentence, and he quit talking to me and left me and was like, hey, baby girl, just like that. That relationship took priority over whatever this was, right? She was different. She was given the attention. She was given the priority over everyone else because she was different. Listen to me. Jesus is different. Billy Graham was great. And all of the other guys that y'all would mention that you think are great preachers and you listen to on podcasts, those guys are great. Moses, great. Elijah, great. All of these other folks in our life that have ministered to us, great. But Jesus is different. See, this is God speaking that he is the beloved son of God. So when Peter began to try to entertain all of these three or honor all of these three in the transfiguration, God interrupted and moved the other two along and said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. And the scripture went on to say, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus with them. So Jesus was not one of the greats. He's the greatest. You see, I wonder, I just wonder in our life what place he holds. I wonder if he is one that we often think of as being a religious hero or all the things that we talked about last week. You see, all of the religions of the world, from, for the most part, honor Jesus as being a great. Even in our own faith, when we don't know what in the world we believe, y'all listen to me, when we don't even know what we believe about who we are and our own salvation, we just want to go to heaven, a lot of times Jesus can be one of the best, but we really don't even know who he is. God, in this moment, when he said, this is my dearly beloved son, was like that older gentleman where everything else stopped and all those folks were okay. I was okay to this guy. But she is the greatest. And Jesus, as God is endorsing him, as the object of our faith, is the greatest. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, the Bible says, 
and prophecy. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. All of the Old Testament, God's work in the world since the fall of man, he pointed forward towards the Messiah, and the Messiah is Jesus, and he was there in that moment. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the righteous standard of the law. When you look back in Leviticus, and you look back to the law of God, and you think to yourself, oh, I need to do all these things, or you think to yourself, who in the world can fulfill all these things? That's Jesus, the perfect, pure one. He became sin who knew no sin. He was the fulfillment of God's law. And then when you look forward to the prophecy in the Old Testament about all these things that are to come, just like we read in Isaiah, and he's supposed to be the suffering servant and all of these things, Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. So yes, we appreciate the work of all the ministers. We appreciate the work of Moses and Elijah. But we worship and work for one. At the foot of the cross, we follow the living God who is Jesus Christ. He should have preeminence in our life. Jesus, because he is Lord and the beloved Son of God, is to have an incomparable place in our life and in our heart. Jesus is the central person, the object of our faith, the object of our mission. You are not worshiping an imaginary God. You are worshiping the God-man who is fully God, fully man, ascended into heaven, beat death, died for your sins, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, one day coming back, real kind of God that gives us mission and purpose, speaks counsel to us. So when we build him up that much, I guess the principle left with is this. What does this look like for us in real time today? It looks like this. Listen to him. Listen to him. Once again, there was written law. There was written prophecy. There were traditional takes from the Jews that they had written all those things down. There was word of mouth and there was disagreements and there was different views back and forth. But the words that God gave, imagine this, the words that God gave to this inner circle, this influential circle who was about to take it back down the mountain. Do you know what he said? Listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is the foundation of a follower of Jesus Christ. This was and is the word of God. I think that these three words are fascinating. Seriously. Jesus, in this moment, in this moment, God has this team of of spiritual giants that we look upon, and, and he is about ready to get ready to launch future ministry into the world. And, and as they are taking in his glory, God has the right to tell them anything. He has the right in that moment to tell them everything. God has the right to tell them nothing. And what he said to these three, listen to him. That'll cover it. Listen to him. Yes, you'll see when you listen to him and experience him that the Old Testament pointed towards Jesus. That the New Testament points towards the living Savior who ascended into heaven and he's coming back again. All that comes together, you listen to him. Guys, when, when I say listen to him, can I ask you this? What stirs in your heart when you read the word of God and God says, this is my dearly beloved son, listen to him. Does anything stir in your heart? Anything at all? If you're like me, when I read and studied this this week, 
and I saw where God is making an endorsement and he gives instruction to the identity of his son, he says, listen to him, it made me want to stop my computer, stop with the commentaries, stop making notes, open up this Bible and read what he said. Just to hear what he says. Listen to this, Mark chapter nine, verse 23. Jesus said, anything is possible if a person believes. Y'all hear that? Jesus said in Mark chapter nine, verse 35, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. That's what Jesus said. Remember, God said, listen to him, and that's what he said. In Mark chapter nine, verse 37, y'all, we're just in Mark chapter nine. We're just in Mark chapter nine. Jesus said, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. Ladies and gentlemen, I've not yet made it out of Mark chapter 9. God said, listen to him. The depth of these words, faith and rank and ministry, this is what God is speaking to. All of these enough are enough when we read these to bolster our faith, to change our perspective, to get our feet moving in ministry. Just by reading three verses of what Jesus said. But this only works in our hearts and minds if we listen. If we listen to him. This week we were giving our children instruction. After y'all play ball, don't come in this house with the uniform on and sit on the couch. Anybody say amen to that. <laughs> don't get distracted by a device. Don't come in this house with dirt because you don't play ball unless you get dirty, right? Amen to that too. Don't come into this house with dirt all over you as my mother sits over there as a living witness, I couldn't even get past the garage. Strip off in the garage. <laughs> like, we lived off the road, so if anybody were to drive up, I'd be standing right there. Ball clothes off. I can't get in the house so Mama clears it. So we're giving our, we are getting our kids the same instruction. Don't sit down. As I'm doing that, I'm standing here, Brittany's standing here, we are talking to our kids, and just like it is right here, our television screen is on behind us. And so as we are saying, don't sit on the couch with ball clothes on, they're going like this. And they're doing one of those things. Anybody got that? Which means they're half listening. Which means their, their devotion is divided. <laughs> For the sake of full disclosure, last night as Brittany is talking to me and I'm sitting on the couch, she's standing between me and the TV. She is telling me something super important, and I'm doing this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, Braves struck him out, throw him out, in the game. Yes. You know, like. So I, I want to suggest to you full attention listening is a decision between selfish and selfless. I am not a very great listener. The Lord reminds me of that all the time. I'm one of those guys that thinks about what I'm going to say while you're talking. Some of you, that may scare you from talking to me. I'm just letting you know up front, I'm trying. I'm trying to do better. Full attention listening is a decision between selfish and selfless. And let's be honest. The reason why we are often wondering and wandering in this life, the reason why we are often invested in things in this life that really don't count for anything, 
the reason why we have formed these opinions about the world that we live in that are so far away from God is because we're not listening to him. We are not listening to God. And at best, it's a divided type of attention. But full attention is making that decision from selfish to selfless. Oftentimes, our eyes are following our self-interest in the background of God. And you can bet the Father did not say, listen to him without the expectation of adopting what he said is truth. Y'all hear me? You can bet that God didn't say, listen to him just so that you can take a test and pass it. That God was saying, listen to him with the expectation of acknowledgement and adherence. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 22, don't just listen to what God's word says. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. You know what it says, but don't do it. That's like what? It's like looking in the mirror, seeing that you've got a sunflower seed in your teeth, smiling, seeing it, and going, yep, it's in there, and walking around not doing a thing about it. That's what the Bible says about the Christian who looks in the Word of God, sees that he does not line up with the image of God in one way, shape, or another, turning right around, living that same way. The Bible calls us foolish. Foolish. We're not listening. Y'all, as I close, let me add this. Our experiences, the things that we experience, they can be forgotten. But the Word of God stands forever. The things that we experience, oh, don't you know? Don't you know that they left that day in shock and awe? Talking about all these things, wrote it down. They are talking about how cool that was. His brothers are making fun of him because of the tent suggestion. All of this is being talked about. Oh, man, this was a great experience. But they left with instruction. Listen to him. I would encourage you today, as many enter the sanctuary on Sunday morning, hoping for some kind of experience. You may have come here today hoping that God would do something miraculous on stage, off stage, through a person, that something would bring you to tears and emotion, that something that God would say today would completely change your situation. Don't you miss a new day or a new way because you're waiting on more than the Lord himself. You are waiting on more than God's word that can change your situation if you hear it and take it in and apply it. That's that simple, that's serious. So what we've learned so far about being right with God, being a follower of Jesus, is denying ourselves and listening to God. So let me ask you today as we close, what is God saying to you? And when I ask you that question, we're not allowed to say that God is saying all kinds of stuff to us if it don't line up in the Word of God. We're not allowed to say God is saying to me, I need to go take out this person or burn down this building. You can't do that. But I can't ask you, if you are a believer with the Spirit of God inside of you and a Bible in hand, what is God saying to you, leading you on? Are you listening? Do you need to be right with God? Do you sit there every Sunday, the Spirit of God just lighting you up, knowing that you need to make a decision? Are you listening? Are you sitting there knowing that you've seen child after child be baptized? You know that your baptism's out of order. You need to explore that, but you're not talking to a soul. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening when it comes to taking steps of obedience? Are you listening when God says that things need to change and he shows it to you in the scripture, confirms it through preaching, spirit of God convicting? Are you listening? 
It is on your heart to join a church, to be a part of a fellowship where you are part of a group of, of like-minded believers and worshiping and working and serving and listening and learning God together. Are you listening? Are you called to ministry? Anybody called to ministry? So many times I heard preachers say that uh, God would call me to ministry, and I'd be like, I'm not going to listen to that. And they would run. I've told you this many times. As a kid, I used to hear preacher after preacher come into our church and say something like that, and I thought, well, I ain't going to do that. Because every one of them were like, I was miserable. I was miserable. Is God calling you to missions? God calling you to preach? Is God calling you to ministry? Is God calling you to teach? Is God calling you to lead? Is God calling you to serve in the children's building? Is God calling you to serve in the student ministry? What is God calling you to? Are you listening or are you running? Are you shutting it down or are you half listening? Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's half devotion. What is God speaking to us who are Bible-believing followers of Jesus Christ with the Spirit of God inside of us whose job is to make the truth plain. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. I would invite you today to come. This altar will be open for you to talk with the Lord. If you want to pass right on by us, you can do that. You don't have to come and pray at the altar. There's something special about getting on your knees and talking to God. I'd invite you to come down bring somebody with you. If you need to join the church, if you want to talk about being baptized, if today you're finally to that place where you are listening, God says you need to be saved and you need to walk up here and forget about everybody else looking at you that they're really not and come talk to us about that. Amen. Lord, we extend this invitation as we know that you talk and I pray, God, that we are listening. Lord, I know that you continue to speak to my heart. You continue to slap me on the wrist at times. Lord, you continue to develop me. I just, I know that you do, Spirit of God. And so I pray on behalf of myself and all of us, whatever the growth, whatever the step of obedience, I just pray, oh Lord, in the name of Jesus, that we would be faithful as you've been faithful to us. We would exercise our faith, believe, and respond. Lead us in this invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our pastors are here for you. Our altar is open for you.